Let's see here. Tom Alley, he'd probably be here. He usually calls if he's not going to be it's around. So hot. There's it, an accident over here. Oh, is there an accident yeah. blocking yeah. all the traffic? That's why we're supposed to have 52 people here today, and there's only five. So, Okay, we're going to get started. Let's see here. Um, uh, I've got a couple prayer requests. One of them is a guy that attends out in uh, 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 Utah, I think is where he's at. Is that where you are, Alex? Why don't I remember that? Anyway, he's out, I think, in Utah, and he's... Um, the person I highlighted on the Prophecy Update, and he, uh, he's got a daughter that's got a severe medical condition. She was born with it, and he would like prayer. He's probably in the, the, the court right now trying to get SSI for her. And I should have told him, you know what, when you apply for, like, uh, uh, what do you call it, benefits, uh, you know, for, they always disapprove it the first time. Always. And so you just reapply, and they usually approve it the second really? time. They, yeah, I've heard, I've heard 50 people say that, and I, I wasn't thinking when I emailed him. But um, anyway, he would like prayers for this, and I will tell him to reapply if they turn it down. And um, then I had a, an email just a while ago, um, prayers for Sharon. This is a friend on Facebook. She's, she emailed me prayers for Sharon. This lady's got stage four cancer around her heart, which I've never heard of that before. And uh, then she wants us to pray also for Kathy, who is going to witness to her about Jesus, and she needs strength to do it, because apparently that's not her thing. So um, we'll open in prayer, and we'll, Lord, uh, we do pray for these two in particular, and the other prayer requests that have come in over the past week, and uh, we pray for uh, our missionaries that are around the world as well, that uh, you would be with them and guide them, and uh, pray for uh, this Bible study, that uh, it would be blessing to some, and uh, that they would maybe hear something that would help them in their knowledge of you and in right doctrine and we would pray that the doctrine would be right according to your will and so many people will read different passages and come to different conclusions and we would pray that that you would be pleased with how we handle your word and uh lord we also do pray for uh, the church on sunday and uh, each person here that's from another church that they'd be blessed where they are and that they would also have uh right doctrine presented to them as well Thank you for all the people that attend this church online that maybe somebody are watching right now. If they are, we send them our love and we ask that you bless them. And anybody that watches later on the uh, the YouTube video, pray for them that they'd be blessed in abundance also. And we do commit this uh, hour and a half to you and we do it in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Hi, Carol. Um, Let's see here. We have, um, I, I wanted to mention something just so you all are aware of this. Um, some of you may know uh, Joel and Missy uh, who were in the Philippines and um, uh, they came by Sunday to speak and uh, we have them that we've committed to at least they're on our board back there, including them in prayer and uh, because they're now going to be training pilots for overseas uh, missions work in Spokane, Washington. And um, uh, so we've included them in our missionaries, which we had three before, and now we have four. We have one in China, one in a country I can't say, two that are in training in Roach, Missouri. Yes, it's called Roach. And um, then uh, we have Joel and Missy. And I mentioned them afterward. He came up and gave a presentation, and I said, listen, I want you all to know that they can't do this without money. That's why they're here, but he's too gracious to say, you know, would you support us? And I just wanted to let you know that uh, I had somebody actually support them uh, in a really gracious way. All four of our missionaries, that they attend this church online. And uh, I want you to know how much that means because, you know, we do what we can in this church, 
but uh, to know that there is an extended church that is willing to help these missionaries. I wanted to note that specifically on the Bible study because maybe some of the Bible study people don't watch um, you know what we're doing and if you want to help one or all of our missionaries you're welcome to either contact me and I'll tell you how directly with the exception of one of them or you know if you send it to me I will make sure it goes on and I'll get you a receipt either way if you want a receipt or I'll just send you a thank you letter from them I you know I've gotten three of the four thank you letters which I forwarded on to these people but I wanted to make a note of that because you know we're not just here for Bible studies we're here to get the word out to the world and there are people that do that you know uh, what does Paul say you, you, people can't know unless they have the word and they can't get the word unless they have a preacher and unless somebody sends it and I know I'm misquoting that but you know what I'm saying from the book of Romans is they have to be supported so thank you to the people that have done that prayers for them if uh, you're watching and you would just remember the the missionaries in uh, if you attend this as your church in your prayers that uh, there are four missionaries that we support directly some orphanages and some other things and I, I'm really grateful for that um, then um, Jim is not here to read today so he I'm just gonna read watching. oh he's watching hi Jim <laughs> hi Jim everybody's waving oh they can't see you that's oh, it's on yeah I, it's probably on me oh that's the other thing thank you oh. for saying that because it reminded me uh, last week the camera was moving around a lot and I didn't know that until afterward nobody emailed me and so I didn't know that if you see me leaning back in the chair yeah. Tell me not to do that. I was so tired. I didn't sleep the night before last week. And so I was thinking, I need to lean back oh, no. so that the, the the camera will be focused on me. And every time I leaned back, it would not focus on me. But I wasn't thinking because I was very tired last week. Oh. And once again, last night, I didn't sleep as well. And the reason why is because I have my Wednesday job. I start it in the morning, and then I, I, I go to all of my church stuff during the day, and then I go back to the, the job on Wednesday night. And it's physically demanding and I sleep really well until about 12 o'clock and after that I don't sleep again I just am, I lay there because I sleep too much between 8 oh, and 12 oh. and so I'm tired again but I want if you see me leaning back tell me not to do that and I apologize to the people to watch these Bible studies what happens when you lean back? Where does it well it, it, it's a sensor back here I'm sitting on yeah. and because I'm so scrawny the weight will no longer sense me on the the pressure pad so does it look at the board yeah it goes up to the oh. board because it thinks i'm standing up to give instruction so that's what's going on so one more thing is that i want to do this um uh now and from time to time i like to do this whether it's you know in a prophecy update or or during a sermon at the end of a sermon but i have not done this in a while and it's part of the bible it's uh not specifically romans but romans talks about it in detail um, uh, is that I want people that watch because we've got quite a few, few people that watch the videos I want them to understand uh, our position or at least my position on salvation and what it means and the reason why is because apparently I did this right at the beginning of the book of Romans and the guy that monitors the website says it cut out right when I did this and there was like 10 minutes of almost quiet where he couldn't hear and so I yeah he said that was Satan working I said that ah, was just problems with the the but you know the devil doesn't want people to know how to be saved and so anyway um, what I want to do is just really briefly go through the, the the doctrine that you're saved by grace through faith and what that means because so many people get this wrong um, and one of the things that will often happen is you'll have somebody like and I love the guy but he's wrong on how he presents it is Ray Comfort I, I somebody from Australia I was emailing a day ago and we talked I talked to him about it 
is that uh, I, I love Ray Comfort. He's a great evangelist. He tells people about Jesus. But he often says, you need to repent, and you need, you know, and he throws these things in with the salvation call. And that's not what we should be doing. So I want to read you, um, there, there are three basic views. There are more views on, on salvation, but I want to give you three basic views, and I want to tell you what I feel is appropriate on here. Okay, the first basic view would be lordship salvation. And the main proponent of that in today's world is a guy named... MacArthur. That's right, John MacArthur. And um, so uh, I'll, I'll explain what that means. And then the next basic view would be moderate free grace. And that would be, anybody know who, who would be the main proponent of this? It'd be Charles Ryrie. Okay. And then you have extreme free, free grace, which is Zane Hodges. Yeah, that's right. You know that. And so I'm going to give you their views. Um, uh, I, there's overlap on these. And I want you to know this. But um, first, Lordship Salvation, John MacArthur. Here's what he says, faith and repentance of sin are necessary, okay? Now, you can't logically repent until you're saved. And the reason why is the term, and that would be rake comfort type of stuff there. The term repent is the Greek word. It's a very simple word, which is way misused by people. It's, um, yeah, metanoia. It means to change your mind, to turn, you're, you're going in one direction, turn around and go in another direction. Many people will get their, their doctrine of salvation and repentance for salvation from where? Acts. Acts. Acts what chapter? Uh, two. two. Thank you. That's right, especially 238. As a matter of fact, the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, people that are proponents of this will say, I'm going to kill those Baptists with an Acts and 238s because it's <laughs> Acts 238, right? And it, it is, what is the problem with using Acts chapter 2 for your view on salvation. Peter was talking it's to the descriptive. Jews. It's descriptive. Peter was talking to the Jews under the law coming out of the law. Okay? So I want to go through this, and I know this doesn't seem like it has anything to do with Romans, but Romans is completely built on this. That's why Acts comes first and then Romans follows. Acts chapter 2, um, uh, Peter is speaking to the people of Israel, and he says there in... Um, uh, Therefore, we'll start in 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, we're not Israel, we're the church, uh, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent. Okay, so they go out, Ray Comfort and all these other people, and they say, you need to repent, right? That's the, my Australian accent. Um, uh, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Totally inaccurate to use that verse. First, for repent. Second, for baptism in order to be saved. The reason why is because it's descriptive. It's talking about a particular group of people that took and nailed the Savior of the world to the cross. They rejected him. And now in order to be saved, what do they have to do? They have to repent of what they have done. They have to change their minds about who this man is. He's come out of the grave. He's proved it. Okay? Now, if you want, and I'll get into this. I won't get ahead of myself, so I'll say this in a second. That is not appropriate to use that particular passage for salvation. But that's what they start with, and they build on that from there. You need to repent. You need to uh, be baptized. You need to do this and that. Baptism has nothing to do with it for us. Why baptism for the Jews is because they had rejected their Christ. 
they needed to make an outward profession in front of the people in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Peter told them that. Acts chapter 8, that's not the case with the Samaritans. Acts chapter 10, it's completely different with Cornelius' household. They didn't get baptized at all until after they received the Holy Spirit. All three of these accounts are descriptive. None of them perfectly apply to today, but the closest is Acts chapter 10. Yes? I think one of the other contributions to this problem has been the translation of the word metanoia. Oh, yeah. I mean, the minute they assigned repent... That's right. It becomes a work. They compounded that problem... That's right. times more than just understanding... The, uh, the meaning of the word metanoia. That's yeah. exactly right. They have taken a word which, you know, it means one thing, and this is the word that we're going to ascribe to it. Everybody follows suit, and so that word becomes almost a stumbling block. This is absolutely important because when you're talking to somebody about being saved, you need to make sure that you use the proper terminology. So, hello, can we help you, ma'am? <laughs> it's not Hedico. Um So... Um, uh, let me go through John MacArthur's, this is his view on salvation. Faith and repentance of sin are necessary. Okay. If I am going to, if I'm sick and I need to be well, right? I want to be healthy again. Am I going to say, I got to go to the doctor, I'm really sick. And so in order to go to the doctor, I need to get myself cured before I go there so that Right? I mean, that, that is what John MacArthur is teaching. He's saying you need to be healed before you're saved. And that's not what you do. You go to the physician to be healed. He heals you. You don't get yourself healthy in order to go to the physician. So he's saying that you need faith and repentance of sin in order to be necessary. If a person is a basket case drunk and you tell him you need to repent of that, which you have rightly said, he thinks that means I've got to give up being an alcoholic He's not going to be saved. He is not going to be saved. Christ will heal him in due time. Every person here that came to Jesus Christ had baggage when they came to Christ, and they didn't get their baggage fixed first. They went to Christ. He saved them, and over the course of time, hopefully their baggage was taken care of. I still carry baggage. Some of you, anybody here carry baggage? Okay, I've got lots of hands up here. All right. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I keep wanting to do that, and I don't want to do that. Okay, here is his next condition for salvation. Must be willing to obey all of Christ's commands. Well, we see all the time Christians that don't obey all of Christ's commands, right? People that are in the pulpit that aren't obeying all of Christ's commands, and they're preaching. Are they saved or are they not? Okay, there you go. You have to question that. Now, if you must be willing to obey all of Christ's commands, what does that mean? Sinless. Well, it, not only that you're sinless or that you're, you you want to be sinless, because I think he gives you a, a, a chance to say, I'm, I'm sinning, but I want to obey Christ's commands. That's kind of what I get from that from him. But it does mean that your salvation is conditioned on your works, because whether you have works before salvation or after salvation in order to keep your salvation, <laughs> it's still of works. Because if you can do something logically in order to lose your salvation, then it is of works all along. It had nothing to do with grace. Do you see what I'm saying? If I am here and I am saying that I need to do this and keep doing this in order to be saved, then the grace at the beginning isn't grace at the beginning. It's grace that's negated along the path, and so it's not grace at all. Okay? Think, think it through. You'll, you'll, you'll get it. 
And then he says his next thing is that true faith brings change in one's life. We'll debate that in a minute. And then finally, works flow naturally. They're not inevitable, but they flow naturally from saving faith. Okay, we'll go on. The next one is Charles Ryrie, Moderate Free Grace. I, the, the seminary, Bible college and seminary that I went to, Southern Evangelical Seminary, which was founded by Norman Geisler, would teach this. They would say that this is appropriate. All right, faith and repentance about the Savior are necessary. In other words, it's not repentance, which he's saying, oh, this guy, MacArthur, is saying you need to have repentance. He's saying faith and repentance about the Savior are necessary. Now, that's where you would say, okay, I have talked to this person about Jesus, and we've had a couple people in this church that have come from time to time that have heard about Jesus, and they've rejected it. Okay? They're not saved. It would be true that they would need to repent about who Jesus is because they have heard the message, and they say, I, I disregard that. So they would need to have repentance about the Savior in order to be saved. Does everybody understand that? Because they've heard about Jesus. However, if somebody has never heard about Jesus, that can't be a condition because they've never heard about Jesus. So faith about the Savior cannot be true about a person that's never heard of the Savior. They walk into a church, they've never heard of Jesus, you know, other than just Jesus. They don't know anything about what he did, right? They come in and they hear the message and they're saved. They don't need to repent about anything. Repentance is not necessary for salvation for that human being because he, there's nothing to repent of. He will get his sin taken care of when Christ saves him. He's justified before the Lord, and then he will continue to be molded if he pursues Christ for the rest of his life. Okay? So that would be their first view. The second, must be willing to obey Christ's command to believe. Not all of Christ's commands, because how can you obey all of Christ's commands if you don't have all of Christ's commands? John MacArthur cannot be right, because somebody that doesn't have a copy of this book in Papua New Guinea, it's not even written in their language, cannot be obedient to all of Christ's commands. It's not possible because he doesn't know what they are, and so it, it, it's wrong from the start, okay? But you must repent about Christ's command to believe. And what does that mean? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all uh, that who, uh, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? Believe. And Christ says you must believe. You must have faith in order to believe. I will go with that. I have no problem with that. You must have faith in order to be saved. And that's what salvation is. You're believing. Okay? Then their next point, true faith brings change in one's life. Charles Ryrie says that true faith will bring about a change in a person's life. And then he uh, says basically the exact same thing for his fourth point is uh, John MacArthur. Works flow naturally, not inevitably, from saving faith. In other words, they just naturally come out of you because you've been saved. Oh, I'm saved and therefore I'm going to have works. Okay? Now, the last one is Zane Hodges, and he is extreme free grace. And if you, you can think of it logically, that means grace is grace. Okay? Only faith is necessary, not repentance. Well, I've already said, John MacArthur is not right at all. Okay? He's taking these passages which say you need to repent, he's taking them out of context, and he's applying them prior to salvation, not after. Okay? Whereas Charles Ryrie says, faith and repentance about the Savior are necessary. Well, I would agree with St. Hodges if somebody has never heard of Jesus. Heard the message of Jesus, not heard of Jesus, but heard the saving message of Jesus. If they haven't 
then that doesn't apply to them. So Zane Hodges is right on one case, and Charles Ryrie is right on the other case. If a person has come to church, he's heard the gospel, he's rejected it, he needs to repent of that rejection. Does everybody understand that? Okay, I'm not asking you to agree with me, I'm just saying that this is how I look at these three different views on salvation. And they all bear on how we're going to be going through the book of Romans. All right? Question. Yes. Where does the sanctification in... Uh, sanctification has to come afterward. Yeah, yeah. Come, come to the sermon on Sunday, okay? I the bronze slaver. Come okay. to that Old Testament symbolism of sanctification. You, you that, right? Okay, no, I don't, but I'll what show you, you right now. Brother? This is... He's the, talking about Sunday. Sunday, yes. This is um, the tabernacle, and it is pointing east. I'm doing it because east is that direction, and here's the Holy of Holies, right? What's the very first thing you see when you come into the, the courtyard? Class. Oh, we got it right here. Just look. Sacrifice. The altar of sacrifice. Guess what comes after that? The labor, right? And then after that, you get into the thing. Every single thing, if you watch these sermons, every single word of this particular, everything, every single detail of this tabernacle to the minutest letter of words points to Jesus Christ. Every, every single letter of it. Well, you get to the labor, and the labor is... Well, I don't want to give the sermon away. But anyway, you want to know about sanctification? Watch this week's sermon. You'll, you'll, you'll figure it out because this is here for a reason. This is here for a reason. It's in between these things for a reason. Everything. Everything about that. It's, this is the most astonishing study. It really is. It's wonderful. Anyway. Um, well, I guess I meant like either sanctification or discipleship. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to get to that. I, I will get to that. Um, uh, okay. Faith does not necessarily involve obedience. Whereas Charles Ryrie says, must be willing to obey Christ's command to believe. I would disregard Zane Hodges on that, and I would go with Charles Ryrie. You must believe his command to believe, or you must be willing to obey his command to believe. His command says, have faith. How can you be saved if you don't have faith? You're saved by grace through faith. So Zane Hodges has gone too far with extreme grace on that. He was correct on only faith is necessary, not repentance, but only for those that have not heard the message of Jesus. So Ryrie is right in one instance, Zane Hodges is right in another, John MacArthur is wrong, okay? Um, the third point, um, true faith does not necessarily bring a change in one's life. I put a check mark next to that and not next to Charles Ryrie. Ryrie said true faith brings a change in one's life, okay? I have seen many Christians that I know have received Jesus Christ. They have wept tears of thanks, and within a very short time, you see them again, and they're back to the way they were. Okay, I don't think anything is necessary after salvation. So I would agree with St. Hodges on that. Not necessarily, and this is where a guy defriended me on Facebook. He got really belligerent, and he just he kept sending one email after another, and I couldn't answer them all in, in order. So he started getting, it got to the point where I'd answer one thing and then he'd be angry because he thought I was a answering the second thing. And finally he defriended me and, I, you know, when somebody does that, I'm sorry, I block them. I never want to see them again. So if you ever defriend me on Facebook, you are blocked. You can never see anything that I do ever again because I don't have time for that, you know. So anyway, um, he got into this back and forth and he says there has to be proof of salvation. Well, that goes back to what I said a minute ago. If there is proof, if, if there has to be proof of salvation, then it's not grace, because you're saved by grace through faith. Everything about your salvation comes back to the Lord, not you. If you have to do something in order to stay saved or to prove that you're saved, and I'll get to it with the final point, then it's not grace. Okay, and then the last one, works do not flow inevitably or naturally from saving faith. 
In contrast to Ryrie, works flow naturally, but not inevitably, from saving faith. I disagree with Ryrie. There, it's, not, uh, it's neither natural nor is it inevitable. And the reason why is grace is grace. Grace is grace. Either you're saved by grace or you're not. You're saved by grace through faith, and we've already addressed that in point number one. So you're saved by grace through faith. You're saved. You're justified. The moment you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Any works after that that are required to prove that you're saved becomes a condition on your salvation and you're not saved. Okay? And my thought is, what works? What works justify you before the Lord? Because James does say that in James 2.24. Saving faith. Saving faith is the work. And I've talked about this. If you don't understand it, go back and watch my sermon on, maybe it's not on YouTube. I think there's one more I have to upload, which is, uh, it's on 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and um, uh, uh, saved um, eternal salvation, I think is what it's called. Anyway, it's one of the sermons that I may need to do from Grace Baptist. But Just one more question. Hang on a sec. Let me get, let me get this point out of the way. James 2.24 says that you were saved, you were justified by works, okay? Whereas Paul says you're justified not by works, okay? They, they say exactly the same thing, and it sounds like a contradiction. But James, in all three instances, speaks of the same thing that Hebrews 11 says is an act of faith. So the work is the faith. Your faith is your work. In other words, when Rahab the harlot, which... Uh, 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 Burke talked about this in his uh, devotional that he sends out once a week. He talked about it this week. Rahab the harlot had more faith than all of the people of Israel that rejected the report of the 12 spies. All of them. Because they said, we, we want to go back to Egypt. And she, she said the exact same thing that they said. She said, we've heard that you brought them through the Red Sea. We've heard that you've done these great miracles and we know that we're, our time is up. Right? Well, they saw it and they didn't believe it. They were lacking the faith. She had simple faith that was greater than all of the people of Israel with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, right? So faith is the work. Faith is the work. It, there's no work that you need to do and say, I need to prove that I'm saved in order to be saved except demonstrate faith. And whatever you do, which is in faith, is what brings you to a right reward with Christ at the, uh, hang on, he's got one first. It is what brings you to a right reward with Christ at the Bema Seat of Christ. Every single thing that you do after you're saved, you believe you are justified, you are declared not guilty. After that, every single thing that you do must be a faith and you'll receive a reward for it. If it's not a faith, it is sin. Sin, thank you. And therefore, it will be burnt up. Hay, uh, stubble, and uh, wood, hay, and stubble. Yes, now your question first. You answered it partially with the... Uh, Civil rights leader. What was his name? Martin Luther King. Oh, the, the old guy. Oh, Martin, Martin Luther. Luther. King. Okay. Martin Luther, that's how I remember. Uh, he, he didn't like the book of James. No, because he didn't understand he it. Like strong epistle and that's right. Shouldn't he be in the canonization because it didn't match with. He didn't the, understand. Faith. Who is James written to? The Jews. Jews. It's written to the Jews, and actually the Jews of the end time, if you understand the structure of the Bible. Why would he say that to them? Because they've rejected Christ for the past two thousand years. They did it at the beginning, and they still did. And he's saying you have to have works in order to be justified. And who did he cite? He cited Abraham, the father of the faith, and he cited something out of Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham. And then he cited Rahab the harlot, and he said, Rahab the harlot, who had more faith than all of Israel. And she still, to this day, has more faith than all of Israel that has rejected Christ. That's why they need to repent. Their repentance is of rejecting Christ. 
That is the repentance that they need to repent of. You and I that have never heard of Christ don't need to repent of doodly squat. You that have heard of Christ and have rejected it need to repent of who Christ is. Your work after salvation is any work that you do in faith. If I go down to the project with three people on Sunday, Tom believes deeply, right? Jim doesn't believe a thing. He just does it because he likes me and Tom. No, I'm kidding, of course. I'm just using his, him as an example. But if, yeah, she's writing it down for Jim. But what I'm saying is if that was Jim's state, he wouldn't get any reward for it. Because he's down there not out of faith, he's down there because he likes me and Tom, which would show he's crazy too, right? But, but just show me where this fits in. Though. Okay, you know, it's not a, it's not, a, it's just honest question. If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay, is that, is that the sanctification process of being a disciple? Yes, because you're because you're obedient to the word. Yes. one John is now, a book that, that really that, has that, to be taken in context, and it has to be taken very slowly and methodically. Because if you take one verse. And you try to run, just like people do with Acts 2.38, you're going to come up with a very convoluted yeah, theology. So, uh, it, 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 so John, I, just, I just didn't know, because me, I pursue that if you seek the Lord, you will find him. That's he right. He will bless you, and because if people quote Jeremiah 29.11, where I know the plans that I have for you. What's the problem with that? However, they do not seek the Lord with all their heart, like it says in the verse. That's before. right, but what's the problem with citing Jeremiah 29.11? He's talking to the Jews. He's speaking time. to Israel. He's yeah. speaking to collective Israel. Yeah. And guess what he's doing, what he's saying to them? He's giving them hope for the future. Where? Yeah, that's right. Where were they? They were in captivity. They were in captivity in Babylon. Yeah. So if you go citing that, that's saying, well, you know, yeah, we should be suffering until things get better. It has nothing to do. People that take Jeremiah 29, 11, and they cite it, and they say how God is going to prosper you and all that, they have no yeah. idea the context of what is being said there. He's writing to Jews in, in captivity, and he says, settle down, build houses, plant flowers, raise your children, send them to synagogue, whatever. It has nothing to do with what people cite. Nothing. Taking that verse and citing it the way they do in churches today is as appalling as taking the, the tithing verses and citing them in churches. It is a complete misuse of scripture. Complete. Now, don't get me wrong. I love when people post that with a little picture of somebody being blessed. Nothing wrong with that. But it causes damage to people that think that they're going to be blessed yeah, when they're in a, a, a crummy situation. Yeah. It has nothing to do with that. So be careful, especially when citing the Old Testament, because people love to take this verse and that out of context, and they make this theology, which has nothing to do with reality. Burke has a question. Statement. 6. John 6. John 6. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe, believe in the one he said. I cite that verse all people, when especially John, what, what is that? John uh, 629. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm saying that so that they know. Okay. okay. John 629, when people start saying you need to do the laws, you know, if you obey his commandments, you prove that you truly love him. Well, what commandments? He fulfilled the Ten Commandments. He fulfilled the entire Old Testament. He's not talking about those, but Judaizers and people that completely reject Paul's word in the book of Galatians in particular say, you see, you have to observe the Sabbath, and you can't eat pork and all of this. Jesus is talking about his fulfillment of the law. You believe in the one whom God has sent. That is what we do. That is how we please God, is to put our trust in Christ and his salvation. So I'm going to go now through some views on lordship salvation, not the other ones. I'm, I'm just yes, go ahead. Did you study this in seminary, or did they teach, it, teach this? Right there. They did. Yep, okay. they did. Uh, and, and you know what? There are people that disagree with this. 
obviously because Zane Hodges wrote a book on free grace, and there are people that disagree with it because uh, MacArthur, which I'll cite right here in his book, uh, TGAJ, what was that? Um, the, anyway, I can't remember the name of the book, but it's got the page numbers in here. There are people that disagree with it. And so you go to a seminary, you better be willing to say, I don't agree with what they say. Because if you just follow suit, that's why we have King James-only people. Right. That's why we have, right. you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, because they're not willing to say, you know, this could be wrong that I'm being filled with. And that's why I disagree entirely, 100% on the precepts of uh, John MacArthur, but I also disagree with two of them on Charles Ryrie. But are they giving you the options? They tell you what they say is right. Okay. And so they would expect you to say, oh, I agree with that. And they, they, you know, that's that's why there's so many people that are so adamant about their theology is because they say most people, here's what happens. Most people have never read the Bible fully that go to seminary. They may have read it once. They may have read it twice. Like I said, I probably read it a hundred times before I got up there. Okay. And it was Bible college. I went to Bible college and seminary. I do not have a seminary degree, which would be a six-year degree. Okay. But I had read the Bible many times. So I already had, I've written a book before I ever went. Okay, I had my theology already developed. The thing that helps you is when you read even a bad commentary, is it helps you to think in a different way. That's why I read Table Talk every day, even though I disagree with most of it, because it helps you to think in another way. I could be wrong. Why would I want to learn something that might be wrong? Is because they might be right, right? And that's why when you go to a seminary and they teach you this stuff, you say, well, you know, let's look at the other side as well. And the good thing about this one is that they give you all the views and it allows you to at least think it through if you're willing to. If you're not just going to pin what they say they want you to put on the answer at the end of the, the course, think about it because, yes, this is what they want me to answer on the course, but that may not be right. And so, anyway, that's why Zane Hodges, I actually agree with on two of the three precepts, and one of them, halfway, okay? Lordship view is the only one I'm going to go into detail on. Is it sufficient to accept Christ as Savior only? Or is it necessary to accept him as, as Lord in order to be a Christian? Lordship salvation. We must accept Christ as Lord, meaning the master of our lives, as well as Savior in order to be saved. That's what MacArthur would tell you. Lordship, and he goes, he wrote this book that was all about, you know, the word doulos and how it's been manipulated throughout the centuries. It's been deceived. People writing, doulos means a slave, okay? And so he, he goes into this detail saying that, there's been a conspiracy to hide this and that Jesus has to be the Lord of your life. And as I've already showed, that can't be. It can't be. But until you're saved, you can't, you can't be your Lord until he's your Savior. Not possible. Anyway, um, uh, okay, and then point two, Lordship salvation is the view, this is MacArthur, a quote, that for salvation a person must treat Jesus Christ as Savior from sin and must also commit himself to Christ as Lord of his life, submitting to his sovereign authority. How do you do that? When you, you, that's putting, once again, the cart in front of the horse. That's exactly what that's doing, if you think it through. Now, I'll read you. This is a critique. These are, this is not my critique except a couple words that I add in here and there. But one, it confuses salvation with discipleship. That's what you brought up earlier. Discipleship. You, you can't be discipled until after you're saved. You, well, you can be discipled, but it doesn't mean you're saved. But you have to get the, everything goes into a box. Everything goes into a category because God is a God of order. Every, that's why this, everything goes into a box. That's why every single thing that we have talked about, why was the ransom money placed where it was last week? 
And I explained why. It's in between the altar of incense and the laver. Doesn't seem to make any sense. But God has made a box for it to show us what he's doing. He inserts the ordination of Aaron and his sons at a certain time when he's been talking about the building of the tabernacle. And he goes back and talks more about the building of the tabernacle. Why would he do that? Why would he talk about the altar of incense and then describe the incense later? Every single thing points to Christ and it shows you the process of redemptive history. If you get away from God's boxes, I'm serious, you get confused and your theology breaks down. Everything he is, we, we're talking about now is all shown in the Old Testament in, in minute detail, minute detail. And yet, oh, we don't need to read the Old Testament. That's why there are two staves on the mercy seat. There's two staves on the, the table of showbread. There's two staves on all of these things it's because they each picture the Old and the New Testament. If you take one out, you can't carry the thing, right? It's just going to drag along. If you take them both out, you got no Jesus at all. And God did that in picture for us to understand. There's four rings on these two things. They picture the four Gospels. It is absolutely clear. But on the altar of incense, there's only two rings. What do they picture? I talked about it. Go watch the sermon. Okay. Um, uh, so, two. First, it confuses salvation and discipleship. Discipleship comes after salvation, not before. Because if you're discipling somebody that isn't saved, you are wasting your time. Okay. Um, Two, it makes the promise of doing good works by submitting to Christ's lordship a condition of receiving the free gift of salvation, which is exactly what I've been saying. If it is, then that means you're really not saved until you've done every single thing that needs to be done until your dying breath. It, your salvation is actually conditioned on what you are doing. It can't be that way. All right. Um, three, it fails to distinguish what is implicit in faith which is obedience. Go back to the one that I said is salvation. Um, you must be willing to obey Christ's command to believe. You have to believe Christ's command to believe. He said, believe in the one whom he sent, John 6, 29. Well, if you don't do that, you're not going to be saved, right? So it does, um, uh, it, it uh, fails to distinguish what it means. Um, uh, it overstates the important connection between faith and works by claiming there is an inevitable connection between them. There is no inevitable connection between faith and works. We talked about that a minute ago. And James 22:24 shows us that the works that James says are cited as faith works. And so it all comes back to faith. Everything comes back to faith in our relationship with Christ. Everything. And as I said, if a person does something that is not a faith, and I'm using Jim again as an example, and I don't mean it because Jim is a faithful guy, but Tom and I are going out there to serve the Lord in faith, and he's not, there's no reward. It, there can't be a reward if you don't do it with faith that you are pleasing to God. You can't do it. It's impossible. Now I'm going to change it. I'm going to say that Tom is the one without faith and Jim is the one because I don't want to get beaten up by Jim. Yes. You can use uh, Josh as an example. The Jewish guy that goes out. Oh, thank you. We have a guy that goes out with us quite a few times. He's been out there quite a few times. And he walks around. He's Jewish. He, yes. He doesn't believe in Jesus. And he just does it because... He thinks it's a good thing to do. And he walks around with us. We pray. I don't think he's ever prayed. No, but he's out there, and he's, he's in the projects with us. And he comes. It's like, you know, ha, huh, guess what happened today? Ah, ah. Tips, tips, where's he to come? I'm out working. I'm taking out the garbage at 7-Eleven. This goes, I'm not getting off on a tangent. This has to do with what we're talking about. Okay? I'm at 7-Eleven. I'm taking out the garbage. I'm barefoot. I'm wearing the really gross clothes because I'm not going to wear a tux to take out the garbage. And while I'm doing it, I, I pick up all the cigarette butts and, you know, it's gross, right? 
and then I go through the garbage and I pull out all of the recycles and oh, everything. Going. Metal goes here, plastic goes here with the glass, and then the paper goes here. And I put it in three different bags and I do it at every garbage can at the mall, at uh, Davidson's, and at 7-Eleven, okay? And I do it out in public. People are watching me. And the guy came up today and he gave me $5. And I said, no, I'm working for Peggy. He said, no, I want you to have this. He felt bad for this hippie that's sitting there scrounging through looking for food. And I wasn't. I was just recycling, okay? That happens all the time. People, guess what? Let me show you something. Hang on. You know what? I, I laughed afterward because I thought uh, he doesn't know what I do on Sunday morning. But oh wait, that's not it. Hold on. Hang on. Website card. There. There we go. Tips. Tips. Okay. So. Um, yeah. Oh, that's Hedico made the wall. It's got little pictures of Chihuahua. She painted all the dogs. She makes me a new wallet once in a while. And uh, so anyway, um, the the point being is that Joshua doesn't have faith in what we're doing, okay? And so there's no reward for Joshua. And the three of us do. We're doing it for a different reason. So we'll get some type of reward depending on how we present ourselves. I don't know why I brought in the 7-Eleven part, though, because I had a point, and then I, it, somebody said You're something. talking about picking up stuff? Well, picking up stuff. But anyway, I had a point about works, um, that works and it was something to do with that. Anyway, I'll remember in the middle of when we get into Romans in just a minute. But, okay, so you see, there, there, it, there has to be faith behind it. James 2.24 is speaking of faith works. Not works works. Who's it's speaking the guy of... that goes with it? He must be curious or something. Oh, well, he comes with Rick, Rick McCampbell. He's a friend he of Rick. curious about... I yeah, and we've talked to him, and we've, we've, we've hinted to him, and I pulled him off to the side, I think, once or twice. I can't remember. But anyway, he's just not ready. But he, he has seen changes in people's life down there, hasn't he? He's seen people's lives changed. Okay, so anyway, um, I wish I remembered what I was going to talk about 7-Eleven, because I had a good point that dealt with Joshua. Um, anyway, if, if he should die, they will mention this at the temple. Oh, yes. That he did this with Well, no, he, he doesn't even go to temple. Yeah. He doesn't. No, and they wouldn't know that he does anyway. They, they, they would, I'm sure he never tells anybody he goes down with us. He just comes. And, uh, oh, that reminds me of what I was going to say. Oh, is that, I, I, hang on, I, I, it just came to the top of my head, and it's almost there. Um, it's uh, almost there. <laughs> it, it, it'll come. I, 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 when you said that, something lit off, and it has to do with the perception of others. Oh, there you go. Other people will see Joshua, and they'll think that he's doing a good thing. Yeah. And they'll see me, and they'll think, oh, this guy's a bomb, and they have no idea what I'm doing there. I'm talking to the Lord. Sometimes I sing songs about Jesus, and you know, I'm, I'm in my own little world, taking out the garbage every day, mowing the lawn out front of the mall, and people drive by, and you know. But people perceive one thing. And I'll tell you one thing that happens is you get tourists that will come down. They will come down uh, for two weeks, and they do the same thing every day. They'll walk to 7-Eleven, get a cup of coffee, and then they'll go to Davidson's, and they'll sit on the bench out front where it's shaded, and they'll you know drink their coffee. And the same time every day I'm there, I'm taking out the garbage. And they'll say whatever they say, and they'll go on and you know talk, and uh, eventually they'll say, you know, well, where do you live? And I'll say, I live right down the road. And they're like, really? And I say, yeah. And I said, this is just a part-time job. And they said, well, what else do you do? And I said, well, I'm a preacher. Boy, does their, their entire conduct changes immediately. Right? Oh, yeah. The, the cuss words stop. I, I, you know, I didn't mean what I was saying about my wife yesterday. Oh, it, it, yeah. Serious. Oh, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. But, you know, if they don't ask, I never volunteer. I don't care on anybody. But, uh, you know, and plus, I think a lot of people probably think this guy is crazy because 
you know, he's just making this up. Well, if you're singing. You know, well, you, you know I'm, I got goo all over my hands, cake running down my, I'm kidding. Anyway. Bare um, feet. Yeah, bare feet, always. But, okay, let's go on. And there's one more point that I wanted to tie in with Joshua, which was a perfect example. Okay, um, now, uh, for, uh, fifth point, this is a critique of uh, John MacArthur. It stereotypes the free grace view by um, uh, labeling it as easy believism. Mm -hmm. So this this is a chronic problem with Christians. I'm holier than you. Oh yeah. And so they say that's too easy. That's easy believism. And they say uh, it, that can't be that can't be it. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. This happened this week. Do you know that I have prob I don't know how many people are friends on Facebook. I, I don't look, but there are a lot. People friend me all the time. Okay. I don't ever defriend anybody. I defriended one guy that was a Muslim. He said he was a Christian, and then within a, a, a day, he was sending me all these supposed contradictions in the Bible, and he was saying how the Quran is superior, and I defriended him. Other than that, I may have defriended five other people in the past 10 years, all Christians. And one was this week, and he didn't just get defriended, he got blocked. And the reason why is because what do I do on every birthday in here, if you're a, my, a friend on Facebook? You greet. I send a, a personal letter. I type up a letter to every single person. Sometimes there's 10 or 12 in the morning. I type up a letter to each one of them. Happy birthday. Here's what I want for you for the year ahead. Okay? Do it with everybody. Whether they're Christian or not, they're going to get it that day. And this one guy sent. He's a Christian. And he came back with this long, angry email. It was a Jehovah's Witness type of thing. There's only two people in the Bible that, yeah, two people in the Bible that have ever had their birthday, and they were both pagans, which if you look at the symbolism of the first pharaoh, remember who he symbolized was God, okay? Remember the second pharaoh was the Antichrist. But anyway, he missed that symbolism. If you go through those old sermons, you'll see that. He's over uh, 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 Joseph. Anyway, doesn't matter. So he went that, and first off, that's a, a fallacy of, that's an error in thinking. A fallacy is an error in thinking. It's a category mistake, which says that um, uh, it's a fallacy of silence. In other words, just because there's nobody that's recognized on their birthday doesn't mean that the Bible condemns it. You see what I'm saying? Right. So it's an argument from silence that you have to say that uh, a birthday should not be celebrated. But secondly, he went rambling on about how, hang on, he went rambling on about how holy he was and how I only use my Facebook for honoring Jesus. And he went on and on, and he took the same thing and he posted it on his wall, and he says, I've received this many uh, uh, birthday wishes on my wall today, and I want you to know, and it was this, this great, he's trying to act pious, which is actually a boast. It was, instead of coming off as being a pious person, it was he was boasting at how pious he was. And I said, I am done with this. I'm not going to be belittled by, first he took me what he posted on his wall, and the second thing he did was he sent me another really nasty email saying about, you know, uh, birthday. If you can't wish somebody a happy birthday and blessings for the year ahead because you are too good for Jesus, I'm telling you, I, 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 I'll never talk to that guy again. That's a perfect example of what he, easy believism. That means we're holier than you because we have to do something in order to be saved, but we're still saved by grace through faith. Okay? Now you had something. Go ahead. Was Job's children celebrating birthdays? Job's children were celebrating Jesus celebrated his, and we celebrate it every single year. I mean, you know, and the fact that we are all born, you know, and our days are numbered, if we pick certain days, like a marriage or a birthday, it's not taking any glory from God. Mm -hmm. That guy was just... I, I, society the way it is right now, we should be celebrating. We should be celebrating. Every person. 
every person. I agree. It, it make it a Christ-centered mm -hmm. celebration. Okay, next point. Uh, sixth point. I got two, three more points and then we'll be into Romans. But this is important that we do this once in a while. It's very important because people will get off on Romans not understanding grace from the beginning. So, point six. It fails to see that there can be a distinction between justification and sanctification mm -hmm. without there being a dichotomy between them. Okay? You are justified and then you can be sanctified, but not necessarily the, the, the two go hand in hand. How many people do you know that are Christians that are on the exact same level as you? I know zero. I know zero that are on the same level as Dale. Everybody is being sanctified at a different rate and in a different way because we're all different individual human beings. Okay? So, you are justified by Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. You are sanctified by how you pursue him. And that goes on to something else, which maybe I'll talk about in just a minute. Seven, it makes faithfulness perseverance, which is Calvinism, to the end, a condition of knowing for sure that you are saved. And here's my extra comment, this salvation, then salvation is not of grace. That's right, because if you have to pursue, persevere to the end, then that means that you are doing something in order to keep being saved. Grace is grace, and it comes one time for salvation. And after that, you are saved. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Logically, if you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, the moment you believe, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Everybody knows that? Does everybody know those verses? You believe, you receive the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee, a deposit, okay? Two things will happen if that's not true. First, God made a mistake. If you can lose your salvation, then God made a mistake by sealing you, right? And secondly, if you can lose your salvation after you're sealed, then that means that your sealing is dependent on what you do after you're sealed. And therefore, it wasn't of grace. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? If you don't understand, I'll explain it again. Okay, you got it. So I don't see any but negative there, shaking hands. argument that they race. They said you believe in your head, but not in your heart. Or that is not, yeah. that, is, that is, once again, that's a side issue. That is a category mistake. Because I am not here yeah. oh, to no, get no, no, in. No, no, no. no, I'm saying when, when somebody says that to me. Romans 10 out of 10. That's right. But what I'm saying is that I am not here to look into somebody's heart. Oh, no. Christ looks into their heart. That is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to tell them about Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and to say that if you believe this message, you will be saved. If they say, oh, yeah, I understand that, and they say, I believe it, I've done my job. I am not the one that reads hearts and minds. So don't let anybody pull that one over on you. I've heard that a million times. Well, you don't John know their MacArthur, heart. Well, of course I don't know their heart. John MacArthur argue it. That's they right. Were, they were not of us, so they went out from us. They must not have been... That verse is completely taken out of context, too. That completely. What does uh, Paul say to the guy in uh, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 5? Hand him over to Satan. Satan. That his flesh may be destroyed, but his spirit, spirit mm -hmm. saved on the day of Christ Jesus. He never questions his salvation. He's already saved. So he went out from among us. Mm -hmm. I am not the one that reads his heart or his mind. Christ does. I am he who searches hearts and minds. Don't let anybody pull that one over on you. Yes, you're right that they'll say that, but that is a complete category mistake. Okay, and eight, yet seemingly, inconsistently, because this is, if you think about it, and I'm not going to explain it, but it admits that a true believer can be a secret believer and even backslidden for a long time. Logically, if you believe in lordship salvation, that's a necessary condition of it. But it's kind of hard to... We'd be here all day trying to explain that. But yes, you could be a secret believer and not even really know it under Lordship Salvation because you're working your way to heaven, right? Anyway, Lordship Salvation is wrong. 
there is a mixture between what I believe is true with um, Ryrie and um, uh, Zane Hodges. But I, I want you to know, and it's important that we understand this. I felt compelled in my heart to bring this up in the Romans Bible study at this point because we're going to start getting into things and people start questioning. If you understand that you are justified by faith in Christ and that sanctification comes later and that no works will ever save you or keep saving you, then you're on the sweet spot at this point. If you don't understand that, everything else starts to fall apart all the way through the rest of Scripture. Okay? It is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. If you take that sentence, and I, I, I'm not going to read it to you right now, but grace and faith are each, uh, we'll just say, I, I don't remember right offhand, and I could check if I'm not going to. We'd be here all day one pulling it up. But male, masculine, masculine, and then over here it's neuter. Well, there's a gender discord. What is it talking about? It's talking about the entire process. It's not talking about grace or faith. It's talking about the process of grace through faith. Okay? Then you, of course, come into the question, is grace uh, or is faith a free will or is it, are you regenerated in order to believe and all that nonsense? Okay? That, and I don't mean nonsense on the first one. I mean nonsense on the second one. But we'll explain that again later. Are you regenerated in order to believe or do you have, does that something come from free will and is free will something that we possess or is it not well the answer is found right in genesis 3 where it says that the man has become like one, one of us, us knowing good, good and, evil. and evil okay if you know good and evil it's up to you whether you're saved or not that doesn't mean there's anything good in you you don't have to say you know rc sproul will make this little circle on the board and you'll say wow look at this this whole board is white and you got this one little one spot right here. Or it's all black, and you got this one little spot of righteousness right here. And he says, that's what we're claiming. You know, and he says, no, 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 there's no goodness at all. And he takes a verse out of Romans, and out of context, he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good, blah, blah, blah. Well, what is he citing when he says that? Does anybody know Old what? Testament. He's citing the Old Testament, but specifically what? Psalm 14, verse 1, and Psalm uh, uh, 30. Anyway, 35.1, yeah, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Who's he speaking about? The atheist. He's not speaking about people in general. He's saying that, and then he says there's none who does good. No, not one. He's speaking about the fool, the atheist, the guy that, okay, forget that little white spot. Forget the white spot completely. This is just a completely stupid argument. We are human beings. I'm going to give an example that might offend somebody, but there's a really beautiful girl over here, and there's one that's not so lovely over here. And I'm a guy that wants to get married. My natural inclination is first to do what? Okay, later I might get to know him, and I might say, wow, that one is not mine. I'm going to take her, right? But my first inclination is to gravitate towards the good. Why? Because I see the good in her. I don't see the good in her yet, even though her good is much better than her good. I don't see it. So when we come to God, it doesn't mean there's any good in us. It means that we see the good in him and we pursue it. There doesn't mean there's any good in us at all. That's the doctrine of total depravity, which is a completely different doctrine. But total depravity just says, basically, depending on which view you take of it, there's nothing good in us at all. We can't do any good. Well, we see people doing good all over the world all the time. Look on Facebook, all those little posts of some guy in China that stops his car in the middle of the highway. He gets out and he helps the old lady because nobody's stopping for him. And he walks all the way across and everybody posts that and they say, look at what a great job this guy did. He's doing something good. 
that's not good in relation to God because he's not in Christ. It can't be counted as goodness. That's what he's speaking about in that context. But we can see the good in God and we can pursue it. And that doesn't mean that there's any good in us from God's perspective except the good that we see in him. And he says, I am now going to reward you with salvation because you have called on Jesus. So free will is true. Don't let anybody pull that one over because man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Okay, we got that out of the way. I know that was long. Are there any questions before we get into the next verse of Romans? Yes. I know Acts is mostly... Descriptive. But in 16, yes. Paul said to the jailer, the Gentile, believe yes. on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. He didn't have all this... That's right. He didn't have any of the, the, the he didn't have any of John MacArthur's instruction. Plus, this wasn't written at the time. He simply told him that there is a man who is God who came out of the grave down in Jerusalem and he has proved that he can take away your sins and you will be reconciled to your father. And whatever he said, it was very limited like that. It wasn't some long thing about lordship salvation and you need to do this and this and you gotta persevere and this and he very good. Acts chapter sixteen is a descriptive verse. It describes what happened when Paul spoke to that person, but it is correct. If you believe this message, you will be saved, and that is Paul's consistent message all the way through, all the way through. If you get into any other of these, um, uh, the Gospels or the Old Testament or the other uh, epistles, and you try to set your church doctrine with them, especially the book of Acts, you will fall into error because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. God gave Paul to write the message of salvation to the Gentile church during this dispensation, and that is where we get our marching orders. That is where we get our doctrine. That is where we get our commands and our exhortations, and that is where we get our understanding of what Jesus Christ did. Everything else is applicable. We get knowledge from it. Oh, we haven't left the, New, the Old Testament, and I assure you that I will not survive into the New Testament. And yet every single week, we are in the New Testament, at least 50% of that sermon because it all points to Christ, what God is doing in redemptive history. You can't understand the new properly without understanding well, and I am convinced of that. I'm this, even if it didn't benefit anyone else, because even though I hold to some of their views, you was able to explain the details where it went from, right. because we like a clean break. Having been a sailor, if a guy marries a virtuous person, you want him to break his past. If he had a wild and ruling yes. thing, you want a clean break, so we as is a legalist, one-time Christian, I always thought, that's easy, easy beliefism. I need to have a virtue, conduct, and such that I'm serious about. We want that for yeah, people. It's human nature, but when Paul's gospel says that it doesn't seem, it seems like you got to do, I want a clean break. I don't want that other That's thing. right, that's but you can't nature. get the clean break. That's yeah. what, oh, the, the last point that I was going to make, and I said I was going to make this, and then I let it go, is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay, and everybody knows that upon belief. You haven't made a clean break because you're coming to Christ with all of your baggage and all of your sin. Yeah. All right, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I've said this a million times in this class. What, what tense is it in when Paul says be filled with the Spirit? What tense is it in? Continuous. Well, it's continuous, but it's Future. passive. It's passive. And what we need to remember, I want you to remember this every time that you think of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit that you will ever get, ever, in all of eternity, at the moment that you're saved. Mm -hmm. All of it. But he can get more of you. And that is what passive means. I yield to the Lord, and he fills me. There is a gap that needs to be filled when I yield that. And here's the example that everybody understands, 
And when you hear this, you're going to say, now that makes sense. Okay. I am married to the woman sitting back there. I've been married for 32 wonderful years. It's been 32 painful years for her, but it's been wonderful for me. Right. But the fact is that I will never get more married than the day that I said I do. Right. I can't get more married, but she can get more of me. Right. Do you understand that? As I explain myself and as I rub her back and I say, I love you and all the things that I do, I yield myself to her. She will get more of me. Some people stay cold in their marriage forever and there's no closeness. Right. And some people have really close marriages because they yield to each other. That is what happens with the Holy Spirit. It is passive. And how does it happen? I can think of five things right now that will allow the Holy Spirit to fill us. Go ahead. Pick them out. Word. Read the word. That's first. Read the word because you can't know God's expectations for you unless you know the word. That's why Jesus said, you search the scriptures. They're what testify of me, Old Testament. And then he said to the disciples, the Holy Spirit will uh, teach you all things so that you can share them with us. New Testament, old and new Holy Spirit. So the word first. Secondly, draw near, seek. Well, uh, more, more specific. Okay, but that's the word still. Okay, that's still the word. Well, serving. That okay? Uh, yeah, serving, which I would put under the uh, the uh, idea of fellowship with your humanity, your Christian Christian with fellowship. But we'll call it serving. Another one. We do it every Sunday before church. We turn on the music and we worship. We worship. Okay, you're yielding to the Spirit, and everybody that likes music is filled. Tom doesn't like music, so he's not filled with the Spirit at that time. He just sits there and listens, right? But when he hears a good word, which is what music does. You're filled, aren't you? You're not reading the word, but you're being filled with the word. You're, you're, you are praising God, okay? You're praying to God. That's another one. When you pray to God, you're making a connection. The spirit is filling you because you are thinking about God. You're thinking about the person that's in pain. You're thinking about how you can serve him better. So praise, prayer, worship, fellowship, and study. That is it. That's the only way that you are going to receive more of the Holy Spirit because you've already got all the Holy Spirit that you are ever going to get the moment that you believe. And that is why charismatic churches have so far missed the ball of understanding who Christ Jesus is. is because they are actively trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I sat in the, the uh, what is it, the tabernacle. The, no, Hope. Hope, I was out there because my friend was getting baptized there. And the guy behind me, which I found out later, was the uh, pastor's father he used to be the pastor of the church but he's here he is the guy been pastor his whole life and he was sitting there right behind me and he's going come holy spirit through the whole service what? ain't gonna happen through the whole service. come holy spirit he kept saying it it's not gonna happen he's not gonna actively fill you he passively fills you when you do the things that god asks you to do praise prayer petition uh fellowship study the word you have all of the spirit that you are ever going to get but he can get more of you, just like Hitako can get more of me as I yield to her, which isn't very often, poor lady. Okay, so there you go. That, that, I, I know that that seems like a diversion, but I, I felt it was necessary to do again, especially right now at this point in Romans, because we're going to start getting into issues that actually... Gave you a poke. He gave me a poke. I yielded to the Spirit, and he filled me with the wisdom of, I need to talk about this today, okay? And if people disagree, don't get upset and start just arguing. You know, one thing I've noticed about Christians is, as soon as they disagree with you on one point, if you disagree with the person on the news, do you never watch that news service again? 
No, you just turn it on the next day. I'm telling you how many people hear one point that they disagree with you on, I'm unsubbing from you. I, I, I get this constantly with people. And I, I know why pastors leave. They say that 600 pastors every week leave the pastorate. 600 every week is the standard. And that's why we have so many seminaries in America teaching new pastors, because people don't want to put up with it. Because they say one thing that offends somebody and all the people walk out the back door when he was right all along, maybe. Anyway, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's debilitating. If you really care about the people that you're, you're teaching, you really love them, and then they turn around after you've been ministering to them for 10 years, and they leave because of one little thing, like your dog doesn't go to heaven, or your dog does go to heaven, or you know, whatever, and they, they, they walk out the door and they never come again. That hurts. That actually hurts. So, you know, but that's the way of the world, and you have to, you know, pull on your pants and tighten them up, and you have to get back to work. But anyway, um, all right, we're going to start with Romans 1.14 today, and we've got 25 minutes. So um, I, I hope if you have any questions on that, let me know. But that, that should help you at least establish where we're going with the book of Romans because Paul is going to speak about justification in detail. And when we get there, we need to know that you were saved by an act of faith alone. And God's grace accepts that act of faith. And from that point on, it is done. It cannot be conditional on what you do after that day because if it is, then it wasn't of grace and it is of works. Okay, um, one fourteen says. Can I make a comment on thirteen Please. before? We thirteen, go. go ahead. Paul had plans for Rome. Okay. Okay, they were based on three things: his burden. He said, "I'm going to debtor." He's going to yes, I'm a debtor. 13. I'm a debtor, and his boldness. He said, "I'm ready." Okay, and then his belief, and I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed. I love it. So he, he had a plan for it. He had a plan. And what are the three? Boldness, belief, and? Uh, uh, debtor, boldness, and belief. He's a debtor, boldness, and belief. He had a burden. Oh, a burden, boldness, and belief. Okay, I knew there were three Bs in there. So, um, okay. That's probably John Phillips. <laughs> yeah, John John Phillips Sousa or just John Phillips? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, uh, Romans 1.14. See, we're almost getting started, and we're only 40, I mean, an hour into the class. So, um, Okay, I am a debtor to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. All right, that's Paul's uh, statement there. And here are my comments. Um, this verse is a tie between the previous verses, which Paul spoke of his desire to come to Rome, and the following three verses, which lay the foundation for an intense discourse on the nature of fallen man in relation to the holy God, our creator. Okay? And so maybe that's why I felt it was necessary to talk about this today. It's something that we have to be ready for because Paul starts here and you think he's not even in that subject. And then you get to Romans 9 and you go back and you say, that's what he's talking about in Romans 1. But it didn't seem like it at the time. He was a master of weaving words together in order to make things clear. And people don't take the whole counsel of God or even the whole epistle and put it together and what happens? Convoluted theology. And I'm guilty of that too. Don't get me wrong. There are things that I'm going to be wrong on. And that's why I always take, say, don't trust your pastor, preacher, priest, or pope. Don't trust a commentary. Make sure you check everything. Make Is this logical? Is And I don't mean pope. Don't trust him at all, okay? Yeah, I was just using that as a, yeah, don't trust the pope and on anything. Your, uh, comment today on Ephesians have many uh, 
translations available. Have many translations available. Why? Because one sense may be, I should go pull that out right now and read the, uh, the preface to the King James Version because they explicitly say that. Do not get captivated by one translation because another. It's right in the preface. I will go through it. I'll tell you what, not today, but I will go through the preface sometime, and it won't be long from now because you brought that up. I will go through the preface of the King James Version, and we'll talk about why, why that is such a bad thing that we get captivated. And another thing, you know, on my website, I, I finally got tired of the King James only stuff about um, uh, towards the very end of uh, Genesis. I wish I'd done it from the beginning of Genesis because I would have found a thousand more. But from the end of Genesis up until wherever we are in Exodus right now, chapter 30, I've probably found 55 or 60 real errors, real translation errors. And when they come to me and they say, well, King James only, I say, I want you to answer these errors. And when you can say that these are correct and why they're correct, then we'll have a debate. Not one of them. All they do is they start mouthing off bad words at you and they say, well, you're going to hell because you don't read the King James Version. And they just leave. And they're not willing to even challenge the things that are wrong, completely wrong. Don't be captivated by one translation, but we'll get into that later. Okay. Um, Paul says that he is a debtor to Greeks and barbarians. The term debtor speaks of one bound in the performance of their duties or an obligation. If you're a debtor, then you're bound, okay? Uh, the distinction between Greeks and barbarians is noted, okay? Why would he make that distinction? Anybody think, why would he say Greeks and barbarians? Okay, I'll explain it. Well, the Greeks was the elite. You got it. And, barbarians and barbarians are... Very good. Somebody thought that through. Okay. Um, uh, let's see here. It is noted and would be similar to today's thought of those in the first world and those in the third world. Oh, we're in the first world. And you look over at the people in the Philippines and say, Psst, you know. Anyway, um, uh, and I love the Philippines. My daughter's from there. We adopted her from there uh, 28 years ago, and I haven't regretted too many days of it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just making a joke. She is, she is a jewel. Anyway, and she's been a good girl 90% of the time. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. And she's watching the television. Yeah, no, she's not watching. No, you know what? When, when they're in school, you have each child gives you a little grief in a little different way. Yeah. My son would always just nit, nitpick at you. Just day after day, there would be something that was, you know. My daughter would wait like six months, and then you'd get a deep thrust with the sword. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh. Yeah, everybody treats you differently, but they are wonderful children. Okay, I didn't mean anything negative about them. It was just fun. Um, okay, so... Um, uh, let's see here. Greeks were the developers of a great and intellectual culture, and therefore to them, everything else was a lower class, just as you noted. All right, the term barbarians is a reflective of everyone who did not participate in the Greek culture and speak the language. All right, if you don't speak Greek, then you're not classy. All right, that would be like, I have to tell you, everywhere I've been in the world, and I mean everywhere, I, everywhere English is spoken. I can't think, now in France, they speak English, they just won't speak English to you. They, they will speak French to you and embarrass you. Uh, Sergio and Rhoda can tell you what happened to them when they were in France and how they came and they thought these are Americans and so they were all, everybody was speaking to them in French and wouldn't help them at all. But as soon as they said, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm gonna get this wrong, but like I'm from Russia and I'm from uh, Arabia or, or uh, whatever, you know, they say I'm an Arab. All of a sudden, everybody starts speaking English to them and oh, helping them. God. Yeah, so, yes. Same in Quebec, too. It, it, oh, yeah, it, because they're French. Mm -hmm. they're, they're on superior. But mm -hmm. everywhere in the world that I've been, everybody speaks English. And I have been in Malaysia. You go up on a mountain where they are literally wearing, they have spears, and they're wearing, like, the old stuff from, you know, the uh, headhunter stuff, right? 
Jolly good day. Everybody, it's unbelievable. Everywhere I've been, somebody speaks English and they want to. They want to impress you with their English. So there might be three people that are in town and they'll come and they'll, they will speak to you and they'll... So there you go. First world language. And that would be the Greeks. And if you don't speak it, then you're not just a common guy. And so all the people that didn't speak English would be like, this guy is the town leader. He's speaking to this foreigner. So that's the idea you're getting there, okay? I'm trying to give you a life example. Um, okay, so the term barbarians is reflective of everyone who did not participate in the Greek culture and speak the language. It, com it comes from the sound of non-Greek speakers. And to them, it sounded like bar, bar. And that's where the term barbarian came from, is that when somebody would speak, it just sounds like there's, you know, bar, 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 right? You know, like when I went to Japan the first time, everybody's going, blah, 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 blah. and after six months, you start to, you can tell the, dis actually not six months, it's much quicker, but you can tell the distinction between things, and you know that they're speaking about you, or you know they're speaking about dinner. You might not speak the language, but you can, but at first, when you're there, you know, you turn on the TV and it's just bar, 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 bar. that's where the word barbar bar comes from, or barbarian, barbar. Bar. Okay, so uh, Paul claimed to be a debtor to both high class and low class. To him, there was only the saved and the lost, and he wanted to convert as many as possible. Jesus, with Agrippa, the king. With Agrippa, the king. You're beating me because I got probably. <laughs> two. That's all right. The second distinction: the wise and the unwise is similar in concept because the message of the gospel cuts through the most intellectual argument and crushes the most inane. Okay, and you see this on Facebook all the time: people with the stupidest arguments, and they just. They, uh, but then you get high intellectuals and they're too smart for the gospel. The gospel will cut through all of this. And that's why I talked to a guy, really nice guy. Um, he's out in uh, Arizona and he heard my Genesis 1-1 sermon on the 12 first principles. And he was so excited about that. And he says, I want to know that. And I said, okay. He says, I'll be able to use that as an argument for God. And I, I told him, it's not going to work. You don't use a high intellectual argument with somebody that thinks they're already higher intellectual than you are, okay? You, um, oh, oh boy, oh. wow, what's this? Can we help you, sir? We got some pizza for Oh, boy, look at that. Just put them right on that first chair there, close right, to me. Here, there you go, oh, sir. Thank, thank you, you very thank much. You. Thank you. Great day. Yeah, you too. Lord bless you. Um, because it's Thursday. Oh, jeez. Yay. And guess what? And next Thursday, it's Charlie's birthday. No, it's everybody. not. Don't say that. Oh, i, I got to cut that out. Now, listen. Sorry. Listen. He got the $5 tip. It didn't cost me anything. <laughs> I said, that's why we're having pizza today. I said, hey, listen. To get rid of my tip. I almost said to him, tips, tips, but he wouldn't understand that. Now, um, I want you to know, I'm going to read this right now because I want the people online to know this too. The pizza money is from David and uh, Matthew in Mass Massachusetts, David O. Okay, he um, gave us money before and he said, whatever is left over, do whatever you want with it. Thank well, there was you. enough for, so thank you, David. Thank there was you. enough for at least these two times and maybe Where's one more. From? So, uh, Matthew in Massachusetts. There are, he's, yeah, but I'll tell you, I, I will tell you something. I laugh every time that I, I see that. I was up in Massachusetts when I was preaching at all the capitals, and um, I uh, uh, went to my friend's house, which is in Andover, and I stayed there, and I went to four capitals from his house, okay? And then I finally took off and went north up towards Maine. But, um, or, yeah, Maine. Anyway, um, when I was getting to my friend's house, I saw the name Methuen, 
and I thought, you know, the first thing that came to my mind, you're gonna, you're not going to understand this, but the Greek word for drinking or being drunk is methuo. And I thought, this is a place with a bunch of drunks in it. And I can't get that out of my head. It just came to my mind. But it, it's not why they called it that. But that's what... Yeah, there you, there you go. Anyway, so I told him that. I said, I, I, every time I see that name, I think of that. But Dave, if you are watching, we very much appreciate a second round of pizza. And uh, I got rid of the tips, tips. Did I explain why I say tips, tips? Well, okay. The, well, oh, the reason why is because one day I was out there picking up the garbage. It was cold. It was wintertime. And people were always handing me money. And I always say no. And they still, they're embarrassed now, so they force it on you. Well, I'm, I'm picking up the garbage. And this guy that couldn't have made more than $8 an hour, he's a Mexican, with another Mexican in their car. And they're stopping at 7-Eleven to get their breakfast. He held out two dollars to me Aww. and i said no 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 i said i'm working for peggy he said tips tips and so now whenever i get something i take it to hedico and i say tips tips <laughs> that's probably only english he spoke but that's so that's why we that's our joke between each other okay we got to finish this first and we might get another one um okay so having said that the most intellectual argument if you use a philosophical argument for telling somebody about jesus it's not going to work because one, they are smarter than you and they're going to come up with a counter philosophical argument. Whether it's rational or not doesn't matter. Okay? You give them the gospel. That is the only thing that is going to get somebody to be saved. I tried this several times. I thought, man, I've got all this knowledge about these things, about the universe, about the uh, second law of thermodynamics, and all of these things that prove that there's a creator. And all it does is it gives people a reason to want to fight against it more. It's good knowledge. If they are on the verge, or if they say, well, what about this? Then you can use that, and you can explain that, and they'll say, oh, I've got a friend who, I, I don't want to give his name, but it's up in that same area, Massachusetts, and he heard about the second law of thermodynamics, and he said, you know, there must be a creator, right? Because of something uh, uh, cosmological, but it's logical, it's, it's a law, it's not a theory like evolution, it's a law, it's something that is immutable, God has set this in the universe, and he said, wow, and so now you've got a basis to talk to them, but all of the, that isn't going to do any good without giving them the gospel. And the same thing is true when you have somebody that has a crazy argument. You don't want to get into the crazy with them. And there is something that you can do uh, to avoid, which is very important. And this is what Paul is writing about here, so it's not a diversion. But when somebody you give somebody a comment about something from the Bible, whether it's doctrine or whether it's about salvation, but doctrine, I'm saying... You say, the Bible says this, and they say, no, it says this. What do they always do? What is the most common thing that people will do when they disagree with you? It's called a red herring. They take and they change the argument to something else. Oh. And you, all of a sudden, you're speaking. It, the it, woman it's, at the well. Yes, the woman at the well. The, the main thing, especially with political arguments, is that when you say, I support candidate X, he's on the Republican side, we'll mm -hmm. say, right? And then somebody on the other side comes on your Facebook wall, and the first thing they do is say, it's all George Bush's fault. It has nothing to do with Canada X or Y that's running now, right? But they bring in that red herring. And what do you do? You immediately start saying, yes, and you've completely lost the argument. Don't let that happen, especially when you're talking about Jesus. Somebody brings in a red herring, and the next thing you know, you're defending something that you didn't even start with. Don't let people do that to you. Stick to the premise, and when they do that, say, well, Let's get back to what I was talking about. 
That's what Paul said in Athens. Didn't That's he? right. I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ. Save crucified. Jesus Christ crucified. Paul would immediately redirect back to Christ. And when you get a red herring, make sure that you don't. Oh, that pizza smells good. Make sure that you don't let people get you off of the main subject. Or, you know, Bill Clinton. He was a, uh, what do you call it? A smokescreen. He'd say this, 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 this. And all of a sudden, you have no idea what anything is because he's put up a smokescreen. Fallacies are things that get you thinking incorrectly when you started on one premise. Don't let that happen. The gospel should be kept the gospel. Don't introduce all of those things. I never, never led anybody to Christ telling them the first principles. And I thought, this is the greatest answer in the world because it's so logical and it explains God. It never worked. And I realized after a couple times, I'm not doing this anymore. All I'm doing is I'm wasting time. I could have been telling them about Jesus. And man, you learn your lessons, but take my my advice and that will save you from making the same mistake don't get off on this don't get off on this stick to the gospel then if they reject it then you know just keep being your nice pleasant self and someday their life is going to go to heck it happens to everybody who is the first person that they email you because you have a life that is grounded and they say i've never seen this person fall apart like this why oh well i want to know and that's the lord will direct them back to you eventually Pray for me. Yeah. yeah. The, the the, yeah. Pray, for pray for me. Why are they asking you? Why are you asking me to pray for you? You don't believe what I believe. Oh, I need prayer. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. That's the perfect time to say, your problem isn't that you need my prayers. Your problem is that you need to ask the Lord yourself. Let me tell you how to do it. Okay? That was the symbolism that we're going through with the incense altar, and we're going to go through it some more. So, uh, it, it, you have to be grounded in not getting distracted. That's a good one. Pray for me. Okay, um, uh, Paul understood this. Now listen to what I'm going to say here. As we all should, and he therefore proclaimed the gospel in any and every way to save as many as he could. He spoke to King Agrippa. See, he, he always says, he always preempts me. And he spoke the gospel to the slave Onesimus. <laughs> ah, he, I love Burke. He is so funny. And he and I think so much on the same lines. That's why I love reading his commentaries. It's because I'm already thinking it, and there'll be like one little thing that I said, I, I never thought of that before. And I always tell him, ooh, good point. You know, you had me think somewhat differently today. I love that. Okay, so we're thinking King Agrippa and Onesimus. He spoke at the Areopagus, Dale, to the intellectually elite, and he spoke to tradesmen and prisoners. He spoke of Jesus to Jew. And he spoke of Jesus the Gentile. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, he sums up his audience for us. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant, myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law, without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. It wasn't about Paul being saved and saying, I'm on the highway to heaven. It was that he wanted to share it with the people of the world, right? That's that's where is that? Yes, sir. Debtor. He's a debtor. Okay, most of the time when you pay your debts, you become poor. No, that's right. But he became richer. Became richer. And we can too. By sharing the message of, a, uh, you, you, know. you will be richer yeah. in heaven with your rewards 
by being a debtor now. 100% right. Very good. Okay, I got one more paragraph and we got just enough time. Life application. Let each of us be willing to speak the gospel message to any and all people in the manner which they are comfortable. We should use simple words to the uneducated and to the children, but we should be capable of adjusting our words when speaking up to those of higher education. Now, I'll give you an example right away before we do this. In the projects, once in a while we'll have a little child and we'll stop, not very often, but once in a while we'll stop and we'll give them the gospel. And boy, they understand that. A little child can understand the gospel. The youngest child that is just coming to knowledge of anything can understand the need for Jesus. And the most intellectual person on the face of this planet has a need for Jesus. And you can use that book and you can lead them to Christ. Okay? Uh, a good example before we... Let me finish up the last paragraph and I'll, I'll give you an example of somebody. I've brought him up in the past, but not to most of you. Um, uh, let me see what was my last... Uh, we need to be ready and willing to communicate properly and effectively to the people of all life stations about the exceedingly rich glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? There. Now, I'll tell you about somebody, and we got three more minutes, and then we'll say a prayer, and we'll be done. Um, Simon Greenleaf. Some of you have heard of him. I brought him up before. Dummy. Not a dummy. Okay? And he was in class one day teaching his professorship to some students, and the students, uh, uh, they said something about the Bible about Jesus and he said that's ah, nonsense that's all a bunch of myths and they said well you're a lawyer check it out prove that it's not correct and you know he was honest enough intellectually which is very rare in the world today he was honest enough intellectually to say okay and he took the, the, the Bible and he did it from a legal standpoint he did an evaluation of the Bible and when he was done, he said, I can come to no other conclusion that this book is testified to as historical. It contains absolute truth. And he became a Christian. Mm. He became one the father of judicial apologetics, which if you know Lee Strobel, who is, was an atheist, he was an a ACLU lawyer. Yeah. And he followed in the steps of, yeah, absolutely. He followed in the steps of Simon Greenleaf. Mm -hmm. These are people that said, I'm going to evaluate this impartially as a lawyer and from a judicial standpoint they defend the bible imagine that that's what paul is speaking about right there to all people all people the gospel can cut through uh that was 1800s or yeah somewhere around there anyway harvard law school simon greenleaf read up on him he's a good guy all right um wow paul would you sure good and loud so they can hear <clears throat> gracious heavenly father we thank you for bringing each one out today and for the message that we've heard, Lord, uh, the priority of salvation and knowing that it's by faith through grace that we can come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we just pray for each and everyone out in cyberspace, and we pray that they might have enjoyed it today, uh, what they've heard, and it might uh, build up their faith and cause them to be zealous to spread the gospel to their friends and neighbors. Thank you for Charlie and Paul for all his effort and for his love for you. Guide us uh, this evening and uh, grant us an evening of rest and uh, help us to be excited about you mm -hmm. and what you're going to do in our lives tomorrow. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, hang on one sec. I'm going to put the camera back and you all can say goodnight to him. Uh, what do I do? Oh, no! What? No. Oh, Sergio's doing it. He must have been playing. No? <laughs> Oh, it's the live button went off. I don't know why. We're okay. I'm going to turn it back to break. I don't know why the live button was off, but I'm glad. 
it, I don't think it's... Yeah, I, it must be still working. Okay, Sergio let me know. Um, anyway, it's back. Say goodbye. I'm sure everybody's on there. So have a wonderful day. And, or, yeah, we love you. Bye-bye. <laughs>